Good to see you on this beautiful, beautiful November uh, weekend. Uh, hey, uh, those of you uh, worshiping with us at our other uh, campuses and some other spaces as well, uh, so pleased we get to jump back into this series called Rebuild. And for those of you like uh, brand new with us, maybe your first time here today, we've been journeying through uh, some episodes with a character in our Bible by the name of Nehemiah, who was responsible for a major building project some centuries before the time of Jesus. And as we've been watching Nehemiah in this building project, from week to week, we've been getting some great clues in uh, how to undergo some of our own seasons when we're in the process of rebuilding. And all of us will find ourselves at a time of rebuilding at one time or another. And so uh, something, about, uh, something about building, something about rebuilding, is that there's usually a beginning. Uh, you begin to date again after a really disappointing breakup. You begin to move forward after a loss, a loss of a spouse, a loss of a brother or sister, the loss of your mom or dad, the loss of a child. And there's that day where you courageously begin to take some steps forward and you begin to move. You begin to set your alarm 15 minutes earlier each day to get up and just quiet yourself before you blast into your day. Maybe read some verses from the Bible, maybe write out a short prayer, open your hands, invite God into your day before we move out and inflict ourselves on those around us. And you begin, you begin this process of starting some quiet space, some quiet time. Or you sit down, you look over your finances, and you start to organize them. I've heard before that a budget, what a budget is, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of just wondering where it went. <laughs> and so uh, you begin to organize, okay, of this income, what is, uh, what is for spending, what is for saving, and what is for giving away? And you begin, you begin to organize your finances, or you begin to revise your resume with the hope of applying for a different kind of job that maybe more aligns with your gifts, uh, abilities, and your passions in, in life. But you begin, you begin. Now, often when we begin, there's starter enthusiasm. There's an incredible amount of energy that can come with beginning something new. And sometimes this energy wears off. Uh, we get uh, discouraged, uh, we, maybe disillusioned, or just plain tired. And so uh, what I just want to focus on today is the fact that there is, there is just this huge difference between beginning to build and continuing to build. And I think, I think that beginning to build is much easier than continuing to build. Getting moving is generally easier than staying moving. And this is what we're going to find in our storyline today with, with Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah's construction project was about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And so we've got an image here of a, a it's like a, a castle. This is not the walls of Jerusalem, but it gives you the, the idea. Uh, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem had been leveled in a war with the Babylonian army. They had knocked down the walls, they had burned the city to the ground, and it had stayed that way for generations. Nehemiah steps forward as a leader and he galvanizes the energy of the residents of Jerusalem and those in outlying areas 
to rebuild the walls. Uh, to restore the walls was to restore the dignity of the city. It was to make Jerusalem into a place that was safe, that was secure, and that was honorable. And when Aaron opened the scriptures last week, and he showed all these different groups that were pouring themselves into the work. I mean, you got families building the sections uh, that are near their homes, the sections of the walls. You've got people in outlying areas traveling into Jerusalem to take part in the building process. You've got tradesmen like goldsmiths and priests and, yes, perfume makers pouring themselves into the work. It's a beautiful picture in Nehemiah chapter 3. I mean, you've got oneness, you've got unity, you've got collaboration. Everybody's working. And today is the day that the work almost comes to a stop. Literally, the threat today is that people in mass will walk away from the wall. Because as the city of Jerusalem is being restored, not every leader around Jerusalem in the outlying countries were happy about this project. In fact, one guy, his name is Sanballat. In chapter 4, verse 1, you see trouble brewing with these words. It says, when Sanballat, he lived like north in the area of Samaria, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. This guy is livid that this project, apparently the growth of status in Jerusalem would somehow reduce him. And so he is just livid. Now listen, this guy, Sanballat, he is going to do everything he possibly can to stop this project. You're saying, so the work is about to get hard. No, the work was already hard. It just got much harder. And so uh, today, with the energy that Sanballat throws against this project, doing everything he can to stop it, Nehemiah has to step forward as a leader and react and respond to the attacks that are about to happen. And so uh, today, as we open our Bibles to Nehemiah 4, there will be three different challenges to continuing this building project. Three challenges where people are tempted simply to walk off the job and abandon the wall. And as we watch these three challenges and how Nehemiah reacts and responds to them, I think that we're going to get some incredible, some incredible clues in how to keep building, particularly in those seasons when we get discouraged or when we get distracted or when we get just plain tired of the work. Three specific challenges. Challenge number one is just the challenge of discouragement. Challenge number one, the challenge of discouragement. So this is what this, is what this guy Sanballat does. He begins to throw shame on the people rebuilding the walls. It's like five questions. And each question should land like a hammer blow of insult. His intent is to demean and to diminish and to discourage the workers. Check out the five questions from uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 2. What are these feeble Jews doing? Like, what are you guys up to? Will they restore their wall? Will they once again offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? He is intending to diminish. He is intending to demean. He is intending to discourage the workers. And then his buddy, he's got a sidekick by the name of Tobiah. Uh, verse 3 says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. He's saying, this will not be ergonomically sound. <laughs> 
The engineering will be bad. Even if they succeed in building a wall, it won't be a wall birth building. Even a little animal crawling up on it will probably bring this thing crashing down. These are insults. This is criticism. And my friends, criticism, criticism can paralyze forward movement. The temptation here is for them to be so demoralized that they walk away from the wall. And perhaps it's not someone shaming you, but just a, just a question for those of you in the rebuilding process. Do you ever find yourself discouraged in the building process? And do you know by what? Last week, I was in a conversation with friends. Two of the friends happen to be in a house search, trying to buy homes right now. Just, just saying, right now, not the easiest time to, build, to, 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 buy, to buy a house. And so uh, one couple, they have kids. Uh, you know, they see a house. They agree on the house. They make an offer on the house. I think it was a full price offer. Someone comes in much higher. They don't get that house, okay? Regather, find another house, agree on that house, make an offer on that house. Someone comes in with an offer way above asking price. You say, Jeff, this is a common story. I know, but to them, it happened three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. Seven houses that they've been outbid on. Would this discourage you in trying to get out of a rental and trying to find a house for you and your family? It's discouragement. Uh, we become discouraged. It's the person that begins the exercise program. I'm telling you, they say, I'm going to walk every single day around our neighborhood. I'm going to walk every day. And they do it. They actually do it. Three weeks in a row, every single day, they're out walking. And then there comes a day, they step on the scales, and they go, I've gained four pounds. How is that humanly possible? How can that even happen? I've, I've gained four pounds. I need to lose 37 pounds before my high school reunion. Next Thursday. <laughs> and we grow, we grow discouraged. This, this is the person that gets intense about a get-out-of-debt program. All available cash are paying off credit cards. And just as they get moving, there's a major automotive repair, and then an appliance dies in their house. And they're just like, why even try? <laughs> See, that's what the voice of discouragement does. Why even try? There's this temptation to walk away from the wall. That's what Sanballat was attempting to do, to demoralize them, to walk away from the wall. And we grow discouraged. We grow discouraged in our marriages. We grow discouraged in our parenting. And we grow discouraged in ministry because things aren't happening as fast as we wanted them to happen. Nehemiah, you better step up and do something. And what he does is really interesting. Because Nehemiah is a man of action, he is a man of leadership, but he's also, he's also a man of prayer and reliance on God. And so in verse 4, we find these words. He says, hear us, God, for we are despised. He says, God, are you watching this? They despise us and they're throwing shame on us. God, hear our prayers. Now, if you were to read the next couple of verses, he even prays a get them God prayer. Like, hey, I got a wall to build here. You make them pay for what they did. I'll let you wrestle with that later. Some of it doesn't sound too Jesus-y, but there it is for you. And then verse 6 is just so powerful. It says, so we rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. They moved through the discouragement. 
So we rebuilt the wall. So we're about half done with this entire project. And people continued to throw themselves at the project. They pushed through the discouragement. There's just, listen, listen. If this catches you today in a season of discouragement, my plea to you was this. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up in your marriage. Keep showing up with your kids. Keep showing up at church. Keep showing up by bringing your best self to life-giving friendships. Keep showing up. That 15 to 20 minutes in the morning of just quieting yourself, inviting God into your day, if you go through three or four days where you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it, keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. They push through the discouragement. The project is now half done. Now, just imagine a messenger watching what's going on in Jerusalem, and he heads over uh, to where Sanballat is, and Sanballat says, hey, 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 how did the shaming do? Like, I totally demoralized him, right? Totally discouraged him. How many people have walked off the job? And the messenger's like, "Uh, nobody. In fact, they're pouring themselves into it, and it looks like the project is about half done. And this is when San Bella goes, man, we got to elevate our game here. If uh, good old-fashioned shaming and trash talk doesn't work, maybe a good old-fashioned bloodbath will bring, bring that project to an end. Challenge number two, it moves from criticism. It moves from discouragement. Challenge number two is the uh, physical threat physical threat. Now, I want you to see the gravity of verse 7, where it says, then when Sanballat, Tobiah, and you get other groups here, the Arabs, and then you get the Ammonites, and then the people of Ashdod, which is feeling like a bunch, when they heard that the repairs of Jerusalem walls had gone ahead in spite of the criticism, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And check out verse 8. This is the physical assault part. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. They plotted. This is the day. These are the gaps that we will come into. They're throwing themselves into this construction project, and we're just going to start killing people, and people will abandon this project. Challenge number two is actual physical physical assault, physical threat. Now, uh, a, a map here. Just Once you see a, a map, it's just uh, Jerusalem is here. Those, those different groups that it mentioned, that Sanballat guy, he was north in Samaria, but then it mentioned the Ammonites. That's like to the east on the other side of the Jordan River. The Arabs, they were to the south. It mentioned people from Ashdod. That was to the west. We would call this being pretty much... <laughs> This will scare you. <laughs> this is a big deal. This is a significant threat. They're surrounded. They've got enemies on every side. Nehemiah steps forward again. Verse 9, the words are so powerful. He says, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Now, I think there's something in there that could be super helpful when you find yourself in a rebuilding process. And it's that part about we prayed to God. Do you see the verse? We prayed to God and we did what? And we posted a guard. Let's see them together. We prayed and we posted a guard. There is reliance on God's movement and there is decisive movement on their part. We prayed and we posted a guard. Let me use some different language for that that just has to do with trust and action. 
trust and action. If, if someone came to me and said, okay, Jeff, uh, if a Christian finds out they have cancer, should they trust God or should they see an oncologist? I would go, personally, I would trust God while seeing an oncologist. It's, it, it's, one doesn't rule the other one out. Trust and action. We prayed and we posted a guard. Some of you need to just write that down on a little piece of paper that you see from time to time. I prayed and I post a guard. Pray and post a guard. It's trust and it's action. It's God's movement and it's our movement. Um, here's the deal. Many of us would fall on one side or the other of that duel. One of us would fall on one side or the other. Either we, we just pray, I'm just trusting God, and we just sit there waiting for something to happen. Or I think maybe more of us would fly into action and then, oh, I'll probably talk to God about this two or three weeks from now. Uh, you, you with me on this? We can be kind of like one side or the other. And here it's both. We prayed and we posted a guard. So uh, this is the person trying to bring their spending under control that says, okay, Heavenly Father, I need you to give me a spirit of contentment that I don't think I've had. I just buy stuff I don't need. And so I need a spirit of contentment from you. Uh, and I need to cut up a couple credit cards. <laughs> Trust and action. This is the couple that goes, we need the almighty God to give us forgiveness for each other for the things in the past that were said and the things that were done because every time we try to move into the future, we keep drudging up the past. Not visiting the past, but living in the past. And God, help us, help us, help us forgive the past so that we can move into the future. And... They come in contact with a mentoring couple, someone a bit older, a bit wiser, who can help walk them through this process. It's asking for the almighty God to intervene in our lives and taking appropriate action at this time. This is a person driving to work once again, and she prays this prayer, please open a door for another job. Please open a door for another job. I'm living just above the poverty line. I just need to make more money. Please open a door. Please open a door. It's trust. And at the same time, she's listening to an audio book about how to cultivate new skills to make yourself more promotable. How to improve skills in order to be more marketable as a person, it's both. It's trust and it's action. I think this is, I think this is super helpful to understand tapping into the asking, praying for the power of God that can do in us and through us what we could never do and simultaneously taking appropriate decisive action. We prayed and we posted a guard. I think that's good. I think that's good material. And they kept building. And they kept building. So challenge number one is just this insult, criticism, it's discouragement. Challenge number two is a challenge of physical threat. Okay, uh, challenge number three, I'm just calling this one thing after another. <laughs> I could have broken it down into challenge three, challenge four, challenge five, but it's like they overlap. It's like the next challenge is the language that is used gives us clues that they're happening simultaneously, one on top of the other. It is an avalanche of challenges. It's just one thing after another. And it begins with weariness. Verse 10, meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is given out, and there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. We are tired, we are exhausted, we are 
toasted physically, and there's so much rubble, we're never going to get this done. Little secret here, there was no more rubble than there was at the beginning of the project. It's not like trucks were backing up, dropping off more rubble. It's just that point where you look at this mountain of rubble, and then you work on it for weeks, and you look back, and the mountain feels the same size. It doesn't feel like they're putting a dent in it, and they are exhausted. They grow tired. They grow weary. And often when we are engaged in a good endeavor, we will grow weary in that endeavor. Uh, Serious students frequently grow weary at mid-semester. By the way, is that where some of you are right now? Mid-semester, papers, exams, we grow weary. Uh, We grow weary with family. I have a question, show of hands, here and at our campuses as well. Do any of you have preschoolers or grade school children? Can I see your hands? Follow-up question, are any of you tired? Now, I've thought about this for a long time. You know why you're tired? Because it's exhausting. There is a difference between the idea of children and actual children. We know this because our kids call and they go, hey, would you like to take the grandkids for a weekend? We go, absolutely, and we are so eager to have them arrive and so willing to see them go. A car pulls out of the driveway, taking those little monsters away, and we go, freedom! And then we look at each other, and we go, how in the world did we have the energy? How in the world? It's just, we grow weary. You ever get tired of working on your marriage? And even as I say that, more than a couple people who are currently unmarried would say, well, at least they have a relationship to work on. Jeff, I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of being alone. We get tired of investing in people. It's called compassion fatigue, just caring for people. And there's this point where you go, I just want to zone out for a while. Isn't it all right if I just kind of zone out and just kind of watch TV for a few years? And we grow weary. Hey, the story in Nehemiah happens four centuries before the time of Jesus. And you come to Jesus in his crucifixion and life-giving resurrection. And you get these little Jesus communities that are growing up, and they needed encouragement. They needed encouragement to hold the course when they were weary, when they were tired. And I just, I love, sort of, and I sort of hate, the instruction that was given to uh, Jesus followers living in a region. It was called Galatia. And so the Apostle Paul coached them with these words. He said, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not, what? Give up. Don't give up. Don't let today be the day that you quit. (laughs) Let us know what I hate about that is that it's farming imagery. Farming imagery, which means you plant something and then you wait. And then you might water, and then you might weed, and then you wait, and you plant something, and you might have a harvest four months, four months later. Uh, I mean, hunting imagery, you, you go shoot something, and you have dinner that night. Farming imagery, you plant something, and you have dinner four months later. And so, uh, do not grow weary in doing good at the proper season. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And I think when we grow discouraged and tired and weary, Just kind of like, man, keep showing up. Bring the energy that you have. Ask God for new strength. Ask God for patience and love when you feel like you're overdrawn and out of strength. Keep showing up. There's a, I just believe that there's a harvest there. 
if you hold the course and don't give up. But remember, it's not just weariness. It's one thing after another. And the language of this one thing after another shows up. It says also in verse 11. So also, like at the same time, our enemies said, like those people that surrounded them, before they know it or before they see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. They're not going to see it coming. They're going to be caught totally by surprise. They're not going to know what hit them. We're just going to kind of waltz into town, knives sharpened, hidden under our coats. Someone's going to uh, give a signal, and we're just going to start attacking the workers who are not defending themselves, and this project is over. And then in the next verse, uh, we have these words, then, then the Jews who lived near them came to us and said, look, uh, 10 times over, wherever you turn, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Do you sense panic in those words? Saying, get out of town. Get away from this project. Wherever we turn, they're going to be here, and they're going to attack us. I think for, for Nehemiah, this is a serious leadership crisis. I believe that the most fragile point in this entire building project is right there in verse 12 of chapter 4, where what, what Nehemiah is threatened with here is a mass exodus, a total desertion of the, everyone walking off saying, I just got to protect my family, and I got I to get out of here. He better do something, and he better do something fast. Because it was just one thing after another. Now remember, they're tired. It's the threat that they're going to get physically attacked and they're exhausted. This is exhaustion with a side order of desperation. (laughs) What's Nehemiah going to do? He responds decisively in two ways. So it's two responses from Nehemiah. Response number one, uh, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the where? Lowest point of the wall at the, at the what? At the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Arm up, and he posts some people. I think this is brilliant on his part. Posts them with their families, which means that the guys that you might be fighting alongside of are your brothers, your uncles, your nephews. That thing about the exposed places and the gaps in the wall. When it says that the wall was built to half its height, that doesn't mean that from the ground up everywhere it was like half as high as it was supposed to be. It means the work was about half done. And inevitably, I'm just going to try to draw a wall here. Inevitably, uh, some parts were really high. Some parts of the wall were lower. Some parts were almost at ground level. And uh, verse 13, if we can go back to verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points and in the exposed places. What Nehemiah does is he says, if we're going to get attacked, it's probably going to be right there. And it's probably going to be right over there. And it's probably going to be right over there. And he sets a little mini army right there in those gaps and exposed, exposed places. What we're talking about here is vulnerability. And I got to ask you a question, and the question is this Where are you most vulnerable? In your rebuilding project, where are you most vulnerable to an attack? Let me put it another way Knowing you like you know you, where would you attack you? Where would you attack you in a way that derails your life? Where are you most vulnerable? Now listen, everybody's vulnerable somewhere. 
Everybody has vulnerability. I just have no clue what this happens to be for you. You need to know where you're most vulnerable. Where would you attack you? And what in the world are you doing to guard yourself in that area? To post a guard. Even as I ask the question, where are you most vulnerable? There are some of you that would go, Jeff, I am most vulnerable to cave into a spirit of complaint. You'd say, I just get obsessed with the blessings of God that flow toward other people. And in contrast, I feel kind of forgotten. And rather than a life of thanksgiving, I, I cave to a life of envy. Trip envy, house envy, spouse envy. Why them and not me? And it is a heart of complaint that prevents me from giving myself fully to the God of creation and the God of the universe because who would want to follow a God who's holding out on them? It is very difficult to give your life to a God that inwardly you suspect is not good. Say, Jeff, my biggest area of vulnerability in the building process, it's a spirit of complaint. Others would just say, oh, dude, what you mentioned about criticism, criticism paralyzes you. Criticism from parents, criticism from friends. Criticism from the voice ringing in your brain from who knows where. Look at me. It is within the nature of leadership to bear up under criticism. It doesn't matter what kind of leadership. Leadership in government Leadership in education, leadership in business, leadership in ministry. It is within the nature of leadership to have to bear up under criticism. Don't let criticism paralyze you from leading well. You see, that, that right there, Jeff, that's the lowest point in my wall. I get paralyzed by criticism. I don't know what this is for you. Some of you have come to discern that you are an affirmation junkie. <laughs> you were so starved for a kind word earlier in life that now no, no good word is good enough. It's like you're a sponge for anything affirming, any compliment, and it makes it almost impossible to dial into the needs of those around you because there's something about being an affirmation junkie which turns us into someone who is really self-absorbed and self-focused. I don't know what it is. For, I just know that all of us have our vulnerabilities. It's good for us to know where they are and the question, how are we guarding against those? For some of us, it's one of the big three. Money, sex, or power. So let me ask the question, where are you most, where would you attack you? Nehemiah, when he hears about this physical threat, he stations people by families in the gaps, the lowest points of the wall, the exposed places. By the way, often, often an area of vulnerability has become an area of vulnerability because we are asking something or someone to fill something in us that it was never intended to fill. Asking compliments or property or favoritism to fill a gap that it can never fill. And that's why that becomes a vulnerability. Um, listen to the words of Jesus as he teaches. 
as he invites. He states his mission like this, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He comes, he gives up his life, he dies to rescue us, and then the resurrection to infuse us with this resurrection life. And he says, I have come that you might have life and have full life. What I'm trying to say is this, the emptiness that is us will not be filled by the next party. And it cannot be filled by the next purchase. And it won't be filled by the next person. And it cannot be lastingly filled by the next promotion. Someone else came to do that job. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Where are you most vulnerable and how does the fullness that Jesus desires to give meet you in that vulnerability? Nehemiah's first response is he posts a guard. And now his job isn't over. He just has to make sure that they're secure for the moment. But now (laughs) there are people that are ready to run, and I understand why. And he has to get them ready to fight. And these aren't soldiers. These are farmers. These are priests. These are goldsmiths. These are perfume makers. And they're ready to run, and he has to get them ready to fight. And so he is about ready to give a speech to encourage them to bravery and to courage in this fight. Now, for centuries, we had no idea what Nehemiah actually looked like. And in a recent archaeological dig, we actually found his picture. (laughs) I'm telling you, Nehemiah is about to throw down a Braveheart speech. It's response number two. Response number two is don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Fight for your families. Fight for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. I told you it was a Braveheart speech, so just hear it in a Mel Gibson tone of voice, right? He said, now listen, you want to run away. You're tempted to run. I need to prepare you for a fight. Now, remember the Lord. Trust and you get ready to fight for your kids, you get ready to fight for your wives, and you get ready to fight for your homes. It has always interested me that Nehemiah doesn't challenge them to defend themselves. Because I can defend myself by running away and hiding in a hole. I just can't defend anybody else if I run away and hide in a hole. I want to suggest to you that it's possible that you may be at your most courageous when you're fighting for somebody else. And there's also the possibility that you can be at your most selfish when fighting for nobody else but yourself. And so a critical question from Nehemiah's Braveheart speech is the question here is just who are you fighting for? (laughs) Not who are you fighting with. (laughs) Who are you fighting for? I remind myself of that question over and over and over and over again. It's it's not just about me. Having a heart that is alive to God is not just about me. Who are you fighting for? I'll tell you some of the people I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for those critters right there. 
In our grandparent stage, Chris and I, we desire for our grandchildren to witness the fact that we love Jesus, that we love each other, and that we deeply love them. See, Chris and I, our health isn't just about us. It's about those guys. You say, well, Jeff, you're older, you have grandkids, I don't. No, 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 your nieces and nephews. You can be 23, 26, and have nieces and nephews. What is it like to more fully follow our Lord? Because there are eyes, there are lives that are stabilized by a faithful aunt, a faithful uncle, and the additional ballast in life. Who are, all I'm asking is, who are you fighting for? I mean, in addition to my family, you have maybe a sphere of influence in your life. I happen to have kind of a unique sphere of influence in my life. It's uh, the leaders and pastors that somehow gather at my house for uh, training in preaching or in leadership. The best thing I have to offer is not tactics in preaching and tactics in leadership because if I'm talking about preaching and leadership and my heart is numb, my heart is bitter, my heart is resentful, I got nothing. The, 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 the best thing I can give to them is a heart that is alive to God and is alive to people as a veteran. Who are you fighting for? And then there are these kind of friends that seem to worm their way into our lives. Uh, I don't think we know the degree to which the dependability and the consistency and the faithfulness in a friend's journey motivates ours, bolsters ours, stabilizes ours. All I'm trying to say here is this, keep building, keep building, keep building, keep building when you're discouraged, <laughs> keep building when you're tired, keep building, keep building, build for the sake of the third graders who occupy the classroom where you teach, become more fully alive to God for their sake. Seek a life that is more fully alive to God for the sake of the patience that you see day after day, whether as a doctor or whether as a nurse. As you walk into a room, this spirit of being alive should walk with you. The clients, the clients you have that desperately need the example of some Christians that aren't fake, who tell the truth, that are actually interested in them, not just pretending to be. Who are you fighting for? Listen, keep building because it's not just about us. It's about all of these webs of relationships that we find ourselves in. It's for their sake in addition to your own. Keep building. Keep building. The fight never came. The attack never came. It was an attack that was totally dependent on a sneak attack on the element of surprise. And when word comes back that they've got armed people standing in the gaps, they call off the attack. But I want you to see some very special words in verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, which was a sneak attack, and that God had frustrated it, we, read to me please, line four, ready? We all returned to the wall, each one to his work. They got back to work. It's just so powerful. 
They got back to work in a different way because now half the people are doing the work and half the people are holding weapons to guard. So they just had to divide their workforce into two, a prepared fighting force and a workforce. That's verse 21 where it says, So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. That feels like a long day to me. Keep building. (laughs) Keep building. Next weekend... We land this series and we see this job completed. Today is just a reminder that this is not easy. Beginning to build is much easier. (laughs) Beginning to build is much easier than continuing to build. Don't Don't let today... Be the day that you quit. Do not grow weary in doing good at the right moment, at the proper time. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And so I pray for you that our gracious God will sustain you by his grace, that he will give you strength outside yourself, that you will see his hand accompanying your work and your work accompanying his hand. May our gracious God sustain you in the good that you are building now in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.